You're listening to the Gridiron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 44 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, and joining me is Jake Hit, the man who grades the Gators for us every single week at ChompTalk.com. Brian Fox Jr. will be joining us later from Hoover, Alabama, from his uh, RV there he's got set up there. He's probably drinking on some beer and eating some wings right now while we're, we're sitting here doing the podcast. But yes, we're winging it a little bit here. Today on the Gridiron Growl podcast, we're going to talk some 2021 defense, some questions that popped up in my head earlier today that I was really curious about, and I wanted to get Jake's opinion as well. Uh, You know, just everything that happened in that 2020 season was just a verbal spanking from the fans to Todd Grantham, and luckily it was was more virtual than it was in person because last year, obviously, we weren't allowed people in the stadiums last year. If I think if we were, Todd Grantham would have had a bunch of trash thrown at his face but yes we're going to talk a little defense here what our expectations are and some of the questions here just real quick before we cover other sports here at chomptalk.com but you know when I think defense for this year uh, a a huge question pops in my mind right now And, and to me you know thinking about just who takes the biggest step in the defensive line and in the defensive backfield it uh really rung a bell in my head and, I, and some names popped into my head, and uh, one of them was Ventrell Miller. And I'm going to go ahead and pick him as my uh, biggest step for the, uh, I guess, the defensive line or backfield. Uh, I'm just going to pick a defensive guy here with linebacker. And uh, he's already proven to be a fantastic run stopper, and I want to see him take the next step in coverage. And I think he has the ability to do so. I mean, it feels like he's been there forever on the defensive side of the ball, and he also led the team in total tackles last year with 86 total tackles now he has to get a little bit better in coverage uh, with his vision and you know at times man he proves to be an elite blocker for to help that defensive line out so my pick is Ventrell Miller with his leadership experience I really think that's going to help out and bolster this uh this defensive team here yeah uh I think I mean like you said Ventrell did a lot to get a lot better and I think we saw it with his agility and his quickness you know he's always been able to know where to go uh, in terms of the run game. Just sometimes he wasn't quick enough to make it there. And pass coverage for linebackers is a really good, you know, uh, as a linebacker, they're really asking you to cover the backs out of the backfield, spy over the middle. And that can really be integral to, you know, a defense because, you know, the linebackers aren't expected to make picks, but you fill that space and you make them think you can get a hand on that ball. I mean, they're not going to throw over the middle. Like Rain Lewis, uh, Brandon Spikes, those were two guys that come to mind. One as an all-time great, and another one as a Florida great, who were really good at making interceptions in pass coverage and taking the ball away, and giving sometimes even giving their teams points on pick sixes. All right, yeah, and we kind of saw that a little linebacker play like that last year with Muhammad Diabate in the Kentucky game. He um, jumped up and snatched one when uh, after Todd Grantham got yelled at on the sideline, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good quality to have as a linebacker to be able to read the quarterback's eyes and, and judge where, you know, he's going to throw the football. Obviously, that's more of a, of a DB's job. But, uh, I mean, it's a good quality to have as a linebacker. Now, like I said, I think Ventral Miller has the biggest upside and can take the biggest step uh, in this defensive, uh, you know, linebacker spot. And uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. But I, my, I have high hopes for Ventral Miller. I think he's going to be a better player. Uh, hopefully he can be good at the next level and make it to the NFL. And if he does make it to the NFL, that means he did improve. So, uh, yeah. yeah. As, as far as that, uh, do you have anybody that you would like to see on the defensive line uh, mm-hmm. take the next step? I think in terms of Dean Lineman, I think a lot of people um, are going to say like a Jervon Dexter. Um, it's one everybody wants to see him improve. Um, I would probably go with Jervon just because he's he's from where I'm from, and I want to see him succeed. And you know, I've interviewed people talk about how much he wants to get better and how much he like has improved and all the steps he's taken. He's actually worked out with um, a local Gainesville guy or a guy who's from Gainesville. He lives in Texas now. His name is Lewis McLeod. You know, he was a defensive tackle at Eastside High School when he played at Jackson State, and he's been working on it with him. Um, you know, most they started off doing hand drills and, you know, working on stuff like that and the technique because sometimes you don't get the opportunity to do that in practice. And, he said if he can really get his hands right, he's going to really come to a next level. But outside of him, I really would like to see Chris Bogle take off. He's been here three yeah. years. He's got some run. Um, you know, I, 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 it's not the same amount of run as like a Brenton Cox, would, but he's definitely gotten um, a ton of games. He only started four games, but appeared in 11. Um, I would love to see him do well because he, I mean, He's a fast athletic. He's a long kid. He's six four, but his arms are freaking, you know, out to his thighs or whatever. Yeah. But he's he's a guy I'd want to see succeed. Yeah, and you're gonna see them switch off between each other anyway, too. But yeah, Chris Bogle, obviously a top one hundred player, uh flipped on national signing day to Florida from uh, I believe it was Alabama. But yeah, uh Chris Bogle is another one of those names that step out there on that defensive line now. Maybe he's not a projected starter. Or, uh, you know, if you go down, and this is a funny thing too, Jake, when I was looking at it earlier, if you just go down the defensive line talent per 24-7 sports and how they rank the defensive line talent coming out of high school, if you take these projected starters, Gervon Dexter, Brenton Cox, Zachary Carter, and uh, you can add in Daquan Newkirk or Antonio Shelton, wherever they they feel like they want to throw them. Yeah, and those are those are true defensive linemen. Some of the people, you know, a guy like Chris Bogle, he's an outside linebacker who plays – along the front four in that three, four package. Right. Yeah. It, 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 this is just, this is just me adding in Gervon Dexter, Brenton Cox, Zachary Carter, and Daquan Newkirk. Uh, supposedly that they start, uh, whether Antonio Shelton goes to that nose tackle spot or whoever, but just between Gervon Dexter, Brenton Cox, Zachary Carter on the defensive line, starting on the talent, they average at a 0.95 rating per 24, seven sports. So you got two five stars a high four-star, and uh, Daquan Newkirk with experience. And, and all these players have experience. These aren't freshmen that are just coming in and playing on the defensive line. These are kids that have had a year or more than one year of experience, and now they're entering their second, third, and their NFL years. And, uh, I mean, yeah, this is going to be the strong side of the whole defense here is this defensive line. There's just so much talent on this defensive line. And they got talent to back them up, these top 100 talents that Dan Mullen – was able to flip a national signing day recruit and some of these guys that got out of the portal, Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Shelton. I mean, you have good depth on this defensive line and you have good starting talent on this defensive line. So 
right? I mean, there's really no excuse unless there's barring some major injuries on this defensive line. I do not see this defensive line having trouble to anybody in the nation when it comes to yeah. playing on the defensive line. I'm really excited for Newkirk because I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I have I I always liked Auburn's defensive line play. I know we've said that word like 17 times in the last five minutes, but yeah. a guy like Newkirk, I'm really excited about seeing because this is a guy who played in the SEC West. He's played against some really, you know, big games against LSU and Alabama and been in the trenches. And I've always liked Auburn's defensive linemen uh, when they had guys like Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, and then they had big cat Brian. I mean, watching, watching Derek Brown in the swamp on in 2019, that dude is, was outstanding. Like yeah. he is a game wrecker of a guy. So if, if Newkirk is anything like him, oof, they got a good one. Uh, Dan Mullen, we'll get into this later on in the in the podcast. Dan Mullen is just hitting in this transfer portal, and uh, he's filling holes that he needs to fill. And uh, you know these are these are guys with one year. I mean, he's going to have to to figure it out next year with what he wants to do on this defensive line. But man, I, I mean, as far as it comes to getting these kids out of the portal, Dan Mullen's hit home runs, and I think this defensive line is going to be the key for this defense. I, I think it's going to be the best part of the defense. I don't know if it's going to be the key. But it will be the best part of this defense. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, if you want to talk about people in the defensive backfield now, um, you know, who takes the biggest step in the defensive backfield? Uh, I mean, you got Kyer Elam coming here for his NFL year. I call it the NFL year. He, he, he could make the decision to stay, whatever, but I doubt that. Barring he, he's been pretty consistent, the most consistent defensive player in this backfield. And uh, I don't think Kyer Elam would stick another year if he was to play just as consistent as he was. But uh, the person that stands out to me and, uh, you know, he hasn't really had a good freshman or sophomore year was Trey Dean. Uh, he's going to be my guy on the defensive backfield who I think will take the next step. <laughs> you know, we like I said, we didn't see consistent production out of him in the freshman sophomore years. But it looks like he's added on quite a bit of muscle, a lot of bit of weight. And Trey Dean, you know, last year, when he was in the game, he flashed uh, some improvement in coverage, and he even had a key interception in a certain SEC championship game that was taken back. But still, you can't take it away from Trey Dean. You know, he's kind of blindsided. Some people say it was a targeting call. Some people will say it wasn't. doesn't really matter. You can't take away the interception from Trey Dean because it happened. It just got fumbled and returned back. But I, I think Trey Dean also has a lot to prove. I mean, you can tell how he thinks and all that. If you look at his Twitter with the handcuffs and all of that, he's getting a little... He gets a little arrogant sometimes, but his head's in the right place, and he's staying out of trouble, and he really wants to improve, and he wants to show people you know, how much he's improved. And I saw some improvement from him last year when he was in the game, and I think his attitude and his work ethic have proven to me that he's ready to take the next big step at the defensive back spot. So, uh, yeah, I, I, my guy is trading. I don't know about you, but I'm picking trading. Yeah, trading had some really great games um, this past year that were overshadowed by how – just absolutely terrible the defense was overall. Yeah. But, I mean, he was – there was – there were some games that, I mean, he was outstanding and we just completely forgot about it because of how many points, how many yards the team gave up. Yeah. And someone was like, yeah, and this this is definitely going to overshadow, like, a really great game by Trey Dean. But for me, in the secondary, I'm going to have to go with uh, either Rashad Torrance – or, actually, you know what? Scratch that. Not Rashad Torrance. I'm going to go with either Trey Johnson or Jaden Hill. Because Trey is going to, 
know, he's going to push for that star role, him, and uh, I hope Avery Helm does as well. But he's going to push for that, so he's going to be, you know, either that or some kind of nickel package for them. He's going to get a lot of run in that spot, I think. But Jaden, you know, he had been switching out so many times with it would either be when there was, you know, uh, they need another DB over on that side with Kyrie Elam when it wasn't Marco Wilson, but it was him and Chester, Chester Kimbrough. Oh yeah. So with him, with, you know, Jaden Hill, you know, it was Jaden would switch out. It would be him and, you know, Chester Kimbrough on that outside spot. And, you know, they wouldn't, they'd see, you know, time, but it wouldn't be a lot of time. And then when Marco had a couple problems, they would move them out there. But I think now he's, not solidified, but is probably your projected number one guy for that outside corner spot. Um, if unless Jason Marshall is just absolutely, you know, blows it away, but he's going to get a lot more run. He's going to get a lot more balls thrown at him because nobody's going to throw a Kyrie Elam. So he's going to have to be better, and I expect him to be because this is his third year with the program. Yeah, top. 250 talent there too. Jaden Hill was a blue chip talent out of high school, high school prospect. I believe he is ranked in the 210 range somewhere, somewhere in between 200, 250. I remember, but yeah, Jaden Hill is one of those guys too, that I've been looking at, at to actually, you know, take the next step as well. And, and hopefully man, you know, like I said, Kyer Elam's going to need somebody to, you know, step up and be that guy. Cause once he's gone, I mean, we, don't really have somebody to take his spot yet. So hopefully now Jason Marshall. <laughs> well, Jason Marshall, yes, but you got to have somebody on the other side as well. But th- we're going to get into that. And actually, we'll just talk about it right now. Florida picked up a transfer for this week in Jadaris Perkins. Now, Jadaris Perkins was a uh, top Juco prospect coming out of Juco. And, uh, you know, it's a huge important addition to the quarterback position just based on the fact that it provides depth and good quality depth. Uh, this is a, a uh, many expected Kyrie Elam to leave for the NFL. So, yeah, he's also posted some great stats when he was over at Mississippi Gulf Coast in junior college. And uh, so someone who can play right away if you need to, and it helps some quality depth to, at that position as well. So Dan's still the king of the portal over there. Uh, but how important is the addition of it, man? I mean, you know, everybody was, you know, actually kind of questioned, Dan Mullen, why did you get another cornerback? We have Jason Marshall, we have Kyrie Elam. But Jadaris Perkins, man, that's a guy that's, you know, played pretty well over there when he was, you know, at Missouri and then uh, with the Juco route, all that other kind of stuff, and he transferred. But Jadaris Perkins, man, he, he's posted some great stats over there when he did play Juco. What do you think about it, man? Yeah, I think with, with Perkins, you know, this was – he had a really weird recruitment. Um, yeah. You know, ended up at Mississippi Gulf Coast, and then he commits and signs – with Missouri out of there for his junior season. And then he signed in February, and then by April, he's in the portal. Like, end of yeah. April, he's in the portal looking to go somewhere. And then by, you know, May 10th, he gets offered by Florida, and now he's just committed there. Um, it's, well, yet to know if he's going to be immediately eligible or not, but with the one-time transfer thing, we'll see what happens. Um, my thing with this guy is he's, you know, super long. He's over six feet. Um, I think he's over six one actually. And he can play both outside or inside. And I think also, you know, he, there are not a lot of upperclassmen in this secondary, like at least by right. name. So, you know, having guys like, you only have guys like Trey Dean 
and uh, Kyrie Elam and Jaden Hill, who is a junior. Like those are your only other like I think upper class for secondary player is Patrick Moore. Yeah. So I think having another guy, you know, even if he's only played JUCO ball, he's played in one of the toughest divisions in JUCO. You know, um, having that experience and that that a guy who's going to be now a third year player is really going to help the secondary because I think everybody talks about how talented or possibly how good the defense could be, but we don't mention how young it is still. Yeah, and DeWan Black was a big uh, big key factor in his recruitment to transfer over there to the University of Florida. I mean, they obviously played together over there at Mississippi Gulf Coast, but uh, yeah, uh, anybody that you want to take from, like you said, the hardest division, and and, and obviously the, the fifth-ranked player in that whole JUCO class, yeah, I, I'll take it all day long. And, and that's depth, and that's good quality depth. And it's not just somebody that you just take in and plug them in because you don't have any kind of depth. That is good quality depth. That is uh, something that we need at the University of Florida, more good quality depth and uh, just somebody that, uh, you know, that can start day one. I mean, if somebody gets hurt, uh, barring somebody, there's an injury, he can step in day one and, and, and make up for that. So, yeah, that was a, a very important addition to the cornerback uh, position. And uh, I wanted to go ahead and throw that one out there because I know – we were just talking about DBs that could step up, and and I wanted to throw that one out there before we 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 got into that. But uh, you know, uh, speaking of DB, this was a question that I was uh, asking myself earlier today, and I, and I thought you know there really wasn't that many turnovers last year, no interceptions, no fumbles, really nothing, and I was just like, hmm, who's going to lead the team in total interceptions this year? So uh, I went ahead and thought, and I said. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think Kyrie Elam will. I think Kyrie Elam is, is, is right now in NFL mode. He wants to make it to the NFL. This is his NFL year, and I really think he's going to cash in. So uh, the person that I think will lead the interceptions is Kyrie Elam. Um, I, now, I, I fought myself now. I said, well, we have the addition of Dewan Black. Will Dewan Black be the lead interception guy? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Jake? Oh, what does what what does he play? He's playing linebacker. He play safety. Uh, well, he, technically, Dewan Black was recruited as kind of a linebacker spot, but I think maybe he could play star. Um, he's a, sure. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a hybrid guy. Um, yeah, he's versatile. I mean, he can play yeah. multiple positions. Kai Ear is definitely probably a popular choice. I would go with the second most popular, and probably say say trading. Trading just because he's got something to prove and he seems to be really locked in and just really wants to show that he can play. Because like you said, I mean, his freshman year, I think was arguably better than was arguably better than people think his sophomore year. They moved him into that star role and it really didn't pan out a lot. Yeah. It didn't fit. They had to move. Yeah. They had to move Marco in there and then, you know, his junior year, like you said, you saw some really good games out of him overshadowed by a really bad defense. Yeah. So this year, I think he really wants to put it all together, and he's going to, you know, I mean, it's going to be clamps like he thinks it's going to be. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I Like you said, I mean, you you said it, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of a lot of his plays last year did get overshadowed by the fact that our defense was just completely abysmal. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and I saw it when I when I watched and uh, yeah, shoot, I, I'm there's so many there's so much talent on this defense. Like if you just go by official high school rankings, 
there's so much talent on this defense. There's so many top 100s and five stars out there. And, you know, this is going to be a year for Todd Grantham to, uh, it's a, to prove it or lose it year to me. And we were discussing before the podcast, and I said, uh, if Todd Grantham has another bad year, is he on the firing squad? Jake. Ooh, it's a rough one. Well, I think everybody everybody wants him fired, but um, I, I, it's, it's really hard because I think people wanted – I think if they have a bad year, that means Florida probably won't have a good year, which means Dan Mullen might get so fed up with all the noise he might leave, so that might end up Todd Grantham losing his job, but – I don't, I don't know, man. I would think that Scott would go to Dan and say, look, you know, you want to keep coaching here. You're going to have to get rid of Todd if they have another bad year. So would you think, I think he's, would you, what think, you say? I was going to say, would you think Dan Mullen would want to fire Todd Grantham if there was another bad year? Oof. They are good friends. Well, yeah, that's the that's the thing is like he's got you know he's got that Jim McElwain syndrome where he's got to keep his buddies on the on the on the staff because you know like I mean Torian Gray and Ron English were the casualties of that and I don't know I think two years of like if it's really bad like it's last year's defense bad I don't know if it'll be um I don't know if he could keep his job I don't. You hear that, Todd but, Grantham? That defense better be ranked at least 50 or under. <laughs> it's just, it's, I mean, college football is weird and it's dumb. And I mean, Todd's had more good years at Florida than he's had bad ones, albeit that at times situationally bad things happen, like the Georgia game where they couldn't get off the field on third down or things like that. But last year was the only year they had consistently bad defense. Yeah. And a lot of people will blame it on COVID and all that and, and whatever. I mean, okay. Look, okay, man, we'll, it's, we'll, it's important to get that time and working in and, you know, getting to know how everybody works. Just walking in and playing football in August after not being around each other for like eight or like six months, I really do think that that takes a toll. Yeah, part of me wants to blame it on that but then part of me doesn't but at the same time man that this defense last year was one of the worst defenses florida has ever had in school history and i i just don't think that it's going to happen again i mean uh, uh, there's a lot of people out there skeptical of todd grantham i was one of the guys that was on the firing train for todd grantham and uh it's just it's one of those things to where like it just can't get any worse like if it gets worse or it stays the same then Todd Grantham has to go you have to fire Todd Grantham you just replaced two other guys on defensive staff who else are you going to replace are you going to replace two guys that have just been there one year are you going to do a Kirby Smart and get a like he does with offensive coordinators every year just fire one and get a new one I mean you eventually got to be able to trust a certain coach and, and have them stay for a little bit to, to prove themselves. And, you know, like I said, if Todd Grantham has another bad year and that defense is ranked in the hundreds, I, I don't think you're going to see him at the University of Florida anymore. And if not, there's going to be a lot of fans that are really heated at calling for him. And if there wasn't last year, it's going to be even worse. And, you know, I hope that this defense is going to be a lot better than it was. It can't get any worse. But at the same time, you know, there's, I mean, a lot of people that are are going to stand out to me, like that I look at it on this defense, and uh, who will stand out as the first-time starter 
is one of the questions that arise to me in my head earlier today. And I could only think of one name and one name only because I saw him play at Roswell High School when I was down there, and that is Tyron Hopper. Uh, his speed alone coming off the line is elite for someone his size. And I actually, like I said, got to see a couple of games down the street from uh, from him in Roswell, Georgia, right as he committed to the University of Florida. I was uh, I was actually bored one day, didn't have nothing to do. I said, hey, I'm going to ride, ride down 10 miles down the street and see how this this kid is. And, uh, you know, he, I mean, he had a couple of big hits that game, and he was all over the field. I think Tyron Hopper brings a complete linebacker to the linebacker spot. He also stood out to me in the All-America game where he was, uh, he had three, actually could have had three total interceptions in that game, and he dropped all of them, which was, <laughs> which sucked to see. But, like, at the same time, he was there. He knew where to be. He read the quarterback's eyes. And, and, and that's what boosted his ranking. I think he was, like, a top 150 linebacker at the time, maybe in the 120s or 130s. And, and after that Under Armour All-American game, he went, it boosted him up to, I think, a top 100 player, number 81 in the nation. I can't, I can't remember. But uh, he's probably the best linebacker on this roster when it comes to coverage. And uh, and if you also t- look closely to the Oklahoma game last year, this guy was covering wide receivers and keeping up with the wide receivers over for Oklahoma when they did have him in the game. So I think Tyron Hopper gets the playing time. I think you will hear his name a lot. So that's my pick. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think that, I mean... First time, with, first time starter. That's going to stand out. The guy, well, the guy like James Houston out, or when James, with James Houston leaving, I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for this really talented linebacker spot uh, linebacker core you know to do some damage and get some work in I, I, I don't know because I'm trying to decide if someone was a starter all year or not um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna I think can, I'm gonna stick with my my DB pick and go with Jaden Hill Jaden Hill okay yeah or if you want to go freshman, you could go freshman but I doubt uh, I doubt some of these freshmen play next year they might they might get some playing time um if I had to pick a freshman, uh, good lord, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of his name. Um, oh yeah, Donovan McMillan would be my freshman guy. Yeah, uh, I would probably go with either him or Jason Marshall. Yeah, Jason Marshall. Uh, yeah, five star, five star recruit out of the out of uh, Miami Palmetto High School. So yeah, uh, if he lives up to the five star billing, then yes, he will have a. Uh, Standout first time starting year, so I mean that's maybe Jordan. Maybe Jordan Young will get some run. Who knows? Yeah, and here look get at out this. Of Tampa. Look at this. Brian just called in. He's in the waiting. Room. <gasps> oh so, my god! Should we let Brian into the pod? Let's go ahead. And let's do it. Look oh at my gosh, Brian. He's got video. What's up, guys? How do you have audio? I- why would you be surprised by that? I'm not living in the Stone Age. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna call in. No, man. If I'm gonna do this, I gotta do it legit, right? Oh, you gotta do it on. You're on the phone. I love to see it. How's the RV? It's it's phenomenal, man. Yeah, Brian. We were oh, just talking. Yeah, you know, it's pretty sweet. We're in Hoover, Alabama. There's a party outside of a bunch of Gators fans, so you might hear some of that. But whatever. That's cool. We got you on here. Uh, you're not live, by the way, but uh, we got good, you on good. here. And <laughs> we were talking I wish about I had known that, that was a possibility. So, <laughs> real quick, real quick, who will stand out as a first time starter? Who do you think? Or freshman? You could pick freshman. Um, on the defense, I assume we're talking, right? Yes, defense. Uh, Tyron Hopper. I really want to see what that guy can do as a starter. Uh, that's my guy. He picked my guy. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! I went with Jaden Hill. 
I'm also looking for uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, Chris Bogle can do. Hey, look at there that. There we go. We got your guy. Oh, yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, By the way, you might have you should have probably recorded that part. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm recording now. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm making you guys sound like you know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Brian, yeah. real quick. We're going to drill you, man. Uh, who takes the biggest step in the defensive line and in the defensive backfield this year? Defensive line and defensive yeah. backfield. Pick one player. Well, I think I, I kind of answered it with the last one with Bogle. I think uh, he's going to be a huge uh, a guy for that rotation up front. Um, I also look forward to seeing a lot more from Brenton Cox. Um, you know, I think we saw shades of what he can do last year, but I think he's going to take that that next step uh, here to coming up. Uh, as far as the defensive backfield, Kyir Elam's a guy who they're talking about first round caliber stuff. Uh, I don't think we've gotten that here at Florida, so I really look forward to seeing what he can offer as a first round talent and, and actually seeing that come to fruition in Gainesville. Rapid fire: Who will lead the team in total interceptions? Oh God, I don't. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's say Elam because he's going to probably get the most targets as the CB one. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked Elam too on that one. Uh, who will stand out as a first time starter? I already asked you that. How important? Oh yeah, here we go. How important was the addition to Jet to Jadarius Perkins? Listen to me. I can't even say his name. Um. I don't know enough about him to know. I mean, he was a Juco guy who was going to Missouri. Um, I mean, there's just not, I don't know anything about him. I'd love to be able to tell you I've sat down and studied this, but as I've told you, I'm on vacation kind of. Uh, we are still covering the tournament. but uh, So to say I put any kind of effort into knowing who Jadarius Perkins is other than texting um, Jake and asking him to do a write-up about it. Uh, I've got nothing to really add to that one. <laughs> Jake is the guy to ask for that one. By Brian. the way, great job on the write-up, Jake. Brian just called oh, in wow, here. Wow, thanks, thanks. Brian just called in here. and I'm just... I, I am the best no dollars you ever spent as a, on, on writers. 100%. <laughs> Don't worry, Brian didn't spend any money on me either. So... Yeah, yeah, I'm the best no dollars you ever spent either. Uh, I kind of invited you in here, and I rapid-fired you. So we got one more for you, man. Actually, we might have two more for you. So how okay. much of an impact do you think Dewan Black makes right away? Uh, right away, I don't know. I almost feel like they're going to kind of ease him in because I don't think linebacker is the perce- is the weakness that I think it was perceived to be. Uh, you know, I talked quickly about uh, – Tyron Hopper, um, I think Ventrell Miller, you know, we're hearing that he might be a first-round pick come next year. Ventrell, I think, is going to be a beast. I look for him to go off. That's going to give Dywan Black time to get familiar with the defense, which is obviously the same defense that he was recruited here for. Um, I think that right away I don't expect a whole lot, but by the end of the season I expect him to be a solid piece of that rotation. And, uh, you know, if we get an extra year out of him the following year, uh, that might be his time to kind of shine for this this defense. Do you think he plays star anytime at star? I think that's going to be based on performance. Uh, how are guys like Trey Dean? Is, is Trey Dean going to be slotted in there? Is, is he playing well if he is? Um, and, and I think it's going to be based on that. I don't think uh, he's going to open the season playing star, at least not very often. I think that's going to be more, like I said, dictated by by how other guys do. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they obviously, they rotate these people out. I think DeWan Black is too good of a talent, especially coming out of Juco, for two years not to at least put on the football field. I mean, he's one of the most versatile players that they got here on the defensive backfield. I mean, he's long, he's quick, he's fast, he hits hard. And uh, he's just the—he's at the link that you want, and, and and especially JUCO, like he causes turnovers. Like you've seen his high school film, his JUCO film. This guy is a turnover machine. He he gets he gets you fumbles, he gets you interceptions, and his vision is just so great. And he's very long, like he has long arms, long hands, big paws, and big mitts. And I think just from a talent aspect and and the experience that he's had at the college level in two years that. You're just wasting talent on the bench if you don't play to one black. Now, obviously, like you right, said, and, and it, I, I totally agree with you. And oh, look, Brian set the fire alarm off. The takes are too hot. Yeah, the takes are too hot, Brian. Well, what, what can I say? No, so David, what I was saying though is uh, I, I don't disagree with you in any way, but I would uh, say that had Taiwan come in in December or January that I could see him starting day one. Yeah. I just don't think that's going to be the case right away. I think he's going to open the year as a rotational piece. And based on performance, I think that's where we're going to either see him or not see him uh, make that jump to, into a starting position. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. And yeah, I, obviously the one black obviously needs to learn the system, but uh, too good of a talent to sit on the bench, but he might. Yeah, I mean, he they might give him a year and let him just sit there and, and figure everything out. And they may give him four games because obviously you can give four games and still keep your eligibility. So they may give him a couple games to play in too. Now, this is the big question that I just asked Jake and we were, we were going over. If Todd Grantham has another bad year, is he on the firing squad? You want me to... I heard the fire alarm ranch. earlier. If Dan Mullen's going to fire one of his best friends, uh, I don't know. Like I, from everything I've seen, it sounds like this defense is going to make big time jumps. Uh, we we seem to think that the personnel is there for them to make these jumps. I do worry about depth. Um, but are they going to fire him? Uh, if they perform like they did last year, I don't think Mullen has any outs. There's, there's no way he can. Um, if there's just a minimal improvement which would still be, uh, you know, very far uh, south of what Florida fans are accompanied or are, are used to seeing. I, I mean, I, I'd like to say yes, but I don't trust that Dan Mullen's going to make that move. I think it's more likely that Dan Mullen takes a head coaching position elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's some hot takes. That's why that fire alarm's going off over there. You got all them hot That's takes exactly over there, right? That's exactly what it is. Exactly. <laughs> All right, this is a question I haven't asked. Uh, can Florida beat their rivals, Georgia, again for the second year in a row? And this has nothing to do with oh, defense, David. but I just threw it out there. David, I don't know if you're going to like this answer because uh, Georgia's probably going to come in this year ranked number one or number two in the country. Uh, what they showed once um, JT got into the games, uh, JT Daniels got into the games, uh, they looked like a well-oiled machine. They're going to be good on defense again. Um can they? Yeah, they can. If you have a great game from uh, Emory Jones and you have, uh, you know, a really solid defensive outing, yeah, they can. Will they? I wouldn't bet on it. I'll put it that way. I'm betting on it right now, Brian. Uh, I mean, you got a good point. That's that's a different different time. And, and for honestly, it. that's probably the kiss of death. So, David, you should put your mortgage on the line. You should. <laughs> <laughs> I put all my mortgage in Doge, man. <laughs> 
Oh man, uh, you know, it, it just has. It just depends on how the year is going to shake out. I know JT Daniels. Obviously, he he was. It was better. The offense was better. It wasn't fantastic or anything. When you know, obviously, they weren't scoring 30, 40, 50 points a game. But I mean, the quarterback level got better when JT Daniels was there. But now he did not know the whole system, and he wasn't in that system for a whole year. So now he'll have a year of experience. But also, Emory Jones had three years' experience in this offense, and according to, to Pro Football Focus, he's going to be the sixth, the sixth pick in the draft next year, Brian. So if yeah. Emory Jones Pro winds Football up, Pro Football Focus also had Kyle Trask very underrated heading into last year. So take with that what you will. Yeah. Last year, everybody hated Pro Football Focus. This year, Gator fans are like, "Hey." Pro football focus is saying our quarterback's really freaking good. All right, we'll see. <laughs> uh, well, I, I that's why I don't like pro fo- football focus's takes because usually they are 75% wrong and 25% right. So hopefully the, right. It, it winds up in the 25% range more than it does the 75%. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man, I mean, that pretty much does just general conversation about the defense here. Uh, just some questions that we thought about earlier today that we wanted to try to get cleared up here. And I know Brian – is joining us here from uh looks like a little uh RV or something there that you're in, Brian. Yeah, man, we are here in Hoover, Alabama, the site of the uh, SEC baseball tournament. Uh Florida is the number 6 seed, I believe. Uh, my numbers might be wrong. It's been a night. Um so um but we are actually here at this uh, party hosted by the Gator Dugout Club uh, here in the RV lots. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty live, man. I, if you hear it, sorry. That's just kind of where I'm at. But if you wanted me on, this is what you get. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Florida opens uh, SEC tournament play tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning locally. That's 10.30 a.m. Gainesville time and East Coast time. Um, so I'm not happy about being on the vacation and having to wake up at eight o'clock in the morning to go over to a baseball game, but <laughs> hey, it's for uh, it's for some marbles there, dude. All the marbles, actually, if you want to put it yeah, that exactly. way. Exactly. And uh, like I said, today we're just kind of winging it on the podcast here. Didn't really have a uh, lot of time to plan for the podcast today, but we're here just giving our basic defensive questions that went through my head earlier today and getting me and Jake's opinions on how this defense will shake up in 2021. And I know Brian and Jake. During the off-season of the football season, you guys cover other sports for us at chomptalk.com. If you guys want to go ahead and uh, take that one over, I'll sit back, relax, and uh, listen to you guys. Yeah, and let's let Jake uh, kind of run this one tonight. Uh, you know, usually he has to play kind of second fiddle to me, but obviously with me being out here and with my primary focus being on this baseball team, uh, you know, Jake probably has a better handle on things than I do right now. Well, we, you know, we can only hope that I do that, but uh, you want to go ahead? We can start with tennis. Big tennis guy. Yeah, I think you have to start with tennis, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the 48ers men's tennis team won the team championship at NCAAs on the 22nd. That was two days ago. That was Saturday. And like, after midnight, it was the longest thing, but it was a real battle. Uh, they beat the number the, – it was the number one-seeded 40 Gators over the number two-seeded Baylor Bears, so you knew it was going to be really good with the top two seeds uh, coming in. But, I mean, there were – it was just <laughs> – and I'm not like – I don't know a lot about tennis. I know enough about tennis, but it was really good tennis. What do you think, Brian? 
Yeah, Jake, you and I were texting throughout the night. Uh, well, I guess it was Sunday night, right? Maybe it was Saturday night. Jeez, I can't do the, the days are lost. So technically, technically Sunday morning, I guess. Sunday morning, yeah, Saturday night, Sunday morning. But uh, you and I were texting back and forth. My God, it was so thrilling. And, you know, Florida loses the doubles point. You're like, dang. <laughs> uh, then, you know, then it's just up and down, back and forth. And every 15 minutes, it looks like something different is happening. Uh, there was yeah. a point right before they got to the point where Shelton was going to win it for – for Florida that, it, you know, about 15 minutes before that, you and I were like, man, this isn't looking good. And mm. then, you know, within 15 minutes, holy crap, Florida's going to win this. Uh, well, it was, you know, just such a ride of emotions there. Yeah, well, I mean, what was crazy was so many of them went down. At, uh, so many of them dropped the first set. I mean, Duarte Valley had a, a huge lead on Adrian Boyton, and he just, I mean, Boyd just came out throwing haymakers the next couple sets and he ended up, win, or next couple of games, he ended up winning the first set. Their game went unfinished. You know, Sam Riffis, pretty easy. He actually uh, had to go 7-5. He got broken a lot. Um, he ended up uh, making that first set out 7-5 and then one six three. Andy Andrade actually to go to tie break with Sven Law in that first set too. Nobody in the first set wanted to, Take it or lose it. Um, and, you know, Andy actually was able to go through 6-0 and win that one. Uh, Bicknell lost his first set. That one went on and finished as well against, uh, they call him Nick Stacks. Um, and then Ben Shelton with the winner. He won that. Uh, he won. He actually dropped the first set and then won 6-1, 6-2. That 6-2 clinching the national title for Florida. And then Josh Goodger had a really good first set, and then his second set was a battle, but he won that one 2-0 as well. So, I mean, those are your winners there that got to the championship. Griffiths, Andrade, Shelton, and Goodger. Shelton and Andre, uh, Shelton being the only one having to go three sets. Yeah, and that Shelton one, I mean, how cool of a story is that, that his father, who was the GOAT, then he, who was the the – freshman like basically he would be the five-star prospect if this was uh, you know college football rankings but for the father to get to watch his son knowing that hey if you make this point if you get this point right here we're going to win a national championship together in our first year together um what a cool story you know florida deserved it they were the number one team for a reason uh for the university of florida it is the 42nd national championship for the team uh for the for the athletic programs at uf um, I mean, you just can't understate what the, what the entire school has been has, has done. Um, they call it the everything school for a reason there, right, Jake? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, important to mention that they not only had to battle this out, but they actually had a harder path to win it because they dropped the doubles to begin the, the match or begin the whole thing. Because you know they start out with one set doubles matches, and the, if you win that, you basically only have to win three sets. Well, Florida lost it to Baylor actually pretty badly in both in all three of them, yeah. and actually not all three of them. Actually, they they lost two out of three, but they they lost badly in two out of three of those, and you know so when when it started looking like oh they were not going to get it done in singles that looked like it was going to come into play, but it was really crazy how it all happened because once one of them won, it was just, I mean, within about 15 minutes of each other, the rest of them just went boom, 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 boom. And you had four wins within like 20 minutes. Yeah, it certainly looked like it certainly looked like the momentum carried over. Now, Florida had battled through this adversity all year. In fact, during pro season play, 
only three times did they win that doubles point. So I don't know if maybe, you know, if, if Brian Shelton was switching up the lineups or what was going on, but obviously there was something at play there that they kept losing this, but still battled back when they got into the singles. Um, but I, either way, I mean, there's, there's nothing you can really take away. I believe that three of those guys are currently in the um, individual title run. Um, I actually was looking that up for you right now. Riffis won his. He beat uh, Nathan Ponwith of, of Arizona State. Actually, uh, Andy Andrade lost his matchup with uh, DeCamps of UCF, and I'm still trying to figure out what happened to Duarte Valley. But... The doubles teams, I believe, of Valet and uh, who's the who's Valet's partner? Do you know? Nope. <laughs> you don't. Okay. Look it well, up. Real it, quick. it seems that that the the team of Valet uh, and I think it's Andrade ended up losing to Pepperdine in the um, doubles championship or individual the doubles individual bracket today. Take Jake real quick. Let's move on over to uh softball. Cause uh, they had a pretty dramatic ending to this uh, regional final regionals uh, in Gainesville last week. And talk a little bit about that for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously dominance capped off by a AO no hit win uh, by the Gators to send them to the super regional Elizabeth high tower with that no hitter. And I mean, this is, this is the Florida Gator team just taking care of business like it should be. Yeah. So they have Georgia this weekend in super regionals. They're expecting a packed house at KSP. Um, The energy, the atmosphere should be pretty incredible and intense. Um, It should take us back to that 2016 super regional between the two teams where Georgia walked off for the win uh, to get to Oklahoma city. Jake, what are you looking uh, forward to seeing in that regional or super regional? Um, excuse me. I mean, I'm looking to see in this super regional just really good softball for the most part. I mean, Florida had a pretty good series against Georgia uh, earlier this year in Athens. They lost that first game and then ended up taking the next two. I believe that's correct. The SEC is the best conference when it comes to softball. I, I mean, it's them and, in my opinion, the Pac-12 after that. So I'm just looking to see this team. I mean, they they played close games all year. It's not like it's going to be a walk in the park at all. So just looking at them, stay what they've been doing, and you know, see Hannah Adams get some more clutch hits. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, man, these are two really good teams. I wouldn't look for either one of them to beat themselves. These aren't teams that are going to run into errors and mistakes that are going to cost them the game. Especially that Florida team who. Just like they're, they're, it's their signature to not commit errors and make make stupid plays that that you know kind of collapsed the momentum. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. Jake, what else we got going on? Uh, you know, there is the baseball team. You want to talk about the baseball team real quick? No, man. Last weekend was pretty rough. <laughs> man, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> no, so and uh, of course I will. Obviously, they they dropped three games. Uh, at Arkansas, they were three really important games. This team was uh, on the verge of getting a uh, potential national seed berth. Um, that does not look to be happening. Now, Florida could actually see themselves out of a regional host spot if they don't do well in the SEC tournament. 
D1 baseball actually has Florida as a 14th seed as of right now. And obviously there's still a lot of room that could be moved here and there. Uh, but that kind of regional, if they, if they get paired with Miami, like D1 baseball projects, that's that's a gloom and doom regional and then even if you do re win that you're gonna travel for supers and i I mean you cannot like that that those (laughs) implications there i mean yeah i think this playing arkansas there were the the first game you just ran to a buzzsaw wicklander and then the second game the second game had to be you had to win that one sunday was that bullpen day i think sunday was also a game you needed to win he jumped out and he claimed the lead and just, I mean, they just couldn't hold it, but yeah, the, I mean, getting swept, it's, it's one, it's the thing is it doesn't hurt to get swept like morally by the number one team in the country, but it does hurt you position wise to get swept just in general. So now, like you said, they're playing at what day is it? Or what time is it? Nine thirty local time against Kentucky. And now they're going to have to, you know, they, they're definitely going to go on the road. And if it's a place that allows 100% capacity, it's going to be worse than our Arkansas series. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, I mean, that's what they're pretty much up against for the rest of the way if they have to face an away game. Um, you know, this, this weekend was kind of a weird one because all year Florida's hitting had been really good and kept them in games that maybe they shouldn't have. And their pitching, it had been what kind of disappointed this weekend. It was quite the opposite. The starting pitching actually pitched pretty well, all things accounted for, uh, but the, the offense just could not get going. And that's one thing that's got to concern you at least moving forward, that if this team can't start, getting those bats going and I get it. You played a decent pitching staff at Arkansas, but Sunday there was no excuse not to get more runs across. (laughs) And, uh, and that's, that's what's part of concerning, partly concerning to me uh, as we move forward here. So I, this is going to be interesting. Florida has Kentucky tomorrow morning, uh, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, whatever day it is, uh, Tuesday morning. (laughs) And, um, it's going they, – they basically need to win. This is a must win. And I will tell you, as someone that, you know, drove the six-plus six hours to get here, if they go one and done, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed. <laughs> win me one game and get me three games out here, and I'm, I'll be much much more ha- happy about my decision to come out here. <laughs> uh, if, they, if they make a run, I mean, that's definitely going to help them as a re- in terms of a regional team. I don't know how it's going to help them as a, as a, a national seed. I think they're probably going to have to win the whole thing to make a national seed. And I think uh, that but, I even made that may even be off the board depending on what other teams do. I, I think they blew up by not winning at least one or two games in Fayetteville. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's just kind of a tale of the times, I guess. When when you blow those three games, three games that you were in every one of those, and you know maybe if you could have come away with one or two, but. I, I think a, re, a national seed is kind of off the table, in, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I would be inclined to agree with you there. But, I mean, moving on from baseball, lacrosse had its season ended as well against Syracuse. They dropped 17-11 to 11 to the Orange. What a great year for the lacrosse team anyway, still. Yeah, I mean, look, they those girls showed a ton of fight. Uh, that is a very, very good Syracuse team. You didn't get to see Syracuse face a lot of the top teams this year because 
they their conference stuck to a conference only schedule. So, uh, but Syracuse is always good. They've always given UF problems, uh, and they were a really good team this year. And they're a team that can threaten to win the national championship. Obviously, they were a three seed, so now they'll enter the final four. Um, look, there's there's nothing that any of these girls um, should should have. They, they they shouldn't lower their heads at all. I mean, this this is a very good year. Uh, and then, you know, we'll bounce back, do it again next year and, and roll with it. It was a pretty young, despite they were very experienced, but young team who returns a solid core of this team back next year. So I look forward to seeing uh, what's to come with this lacrosse team. Well, yeah, and it was it was just I mean, they, they really had them on the not on the ropes, but a really close game going into halftime. It was tied at five to five, actually. But then coming out of the break, I mean, Syracuse rattled off five straight goals to take that to take like a 10 to five advantage and basically play defense the rest of the way. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're going to look to build on this and just, you know, have a, an even better year than last year. Cause I think every year they're getting just a little bit better and they're getting that much closer to giving Florida yet another national title. Yeah, and it'd be another program. One thing we didn't mention about the men's team, that was that program's first national title. I think there's only like five out of the 19 programs at UF that haven't won one. Um, so, you know, obviously lacrosse is still one that, that needs to get that done. But they're a team that we feel is kind of knocking on that doorstep, I think, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they got – they're having, you know, several players now a year on the preseason all-conference and even all-American lists and – you know, they're winning, you know, X of the year so many times, not so many times, but they've had so many years where they've basically swept the yearly awards or even come close to it. And, you know, they're just running through their conference at this point. So they're they're only getting better. Yeah, exactly. Hey, man, did you see the news about uh, Gators soccer today? Yes, sir. New yeah, head talk. coach. I think it's his I, – I believe you say it. His name is Tony Amato. Uh, that sounds right. 18-year veteran. He's had stops at Rollins College, Stephen F. Austin, and Arizona. Every single place he's been to, he's made it better, and they've gone back to postseason play. Uh, he actually led Rollins to their first Division II appearances in 2008 and 2009. They got – and Stephen F. Austin got them back in the postseason after being out for four years in 2012. And then Arizona made its first appearance in 2014 after missing the last eight tournaments. So, I mean, this is definitely – he had a really good run at Arizona. They set a program record with 14 wins at one point there. And, you know, I think this is – possibly the perfect guy to replace Becky Burley just because he's shown, you know, they were Florida soccer has been pretty good, you know, over its time. But I think a couple of years now it's faltered. And I think this is a really good coach to get them back in the fold. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who basically is taking these reclamation projects and turned it around almost overnight. And that's kind of what we're hoping happens here at Florida. The cover's not bare. There's a lot of talent on that Florida soccer field. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, style changes, uh, philosophy changes. Um, I love Becky Burley. I thought she was a great coach. I thought she was a good person, an even better person. Um, but I don't know that her style always fit the personnel. And uh, and I think that's part of what led to everything that happened. I'm I'm guessing uh, here, and I'm not going to speculate 
further than that. But, um, but I, I fully expect that this is a soccer team that once again in the next year or two is back to making NCAA tournament appearances, getting regionals here in Gainesville. Um, something that unfortunately has been lacking the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, he's, he's been a guy, you know, he's, he played at Rollins back in the late nineties. He's followed Becky Burley and this Florida program ever since then. So he knows what's expected of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, he, this is a guy, like you just said, man, he, he knows what, what we're expecting here and he knows more importantly, what the fans are expecting. Uh, and that's going to be important taking over and trying to, build the trust of the fan base. So we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess, but obviously that's going to come this fall, but uh, big news out of the, the university of Florida, man, they were super quiet about interviews. So I couldn't get anything out. I I pushed for a bunch of people and I I had never heard this guy's name before looking him up when he got, when they announced his hiring earlier today. So um, pretty hush hush, but it looks like they made a pretty good choice. I think. Well, he's not the only person to get hired for it today, or at least get announced. Hoops. Right? Hoops, man. They hired oh, Oklahoma yeah. State recruiting coordinator and assistant coach Eric Pastrana. Now, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, Jordan Mincy going to Jacksonville, Darius Nichols going to Radford. But, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird that they're going to hire the recruiting coordinator who was there when they got Kate Cunningham, which – got them in a lot of trouble. So I, I don't know how I feel about it, but if he had nothing to do with it, I, I'm fine with it. But if you know, you look, be the saying, look, Dave, you'll appreciate this. If this guy's throwing bags and getting away with it, we need to hire him for the football team too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Why, why can't we get hires like that, man? <laughs> I know. going to have to, uh, going to have to have a, Talk with Coach Dan Mullen, which I never have done before, but hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll see what happened on that basketball team and wake up a little bit, get some better bag. Now, Jake, what I would say is I, I like the hire of Pastrana. If, if he was clear of all the, uh, you know, potential wrongdoing with Cunningham, it's a really good hire. This guy is an ace recruiter. Um, does he replace what, <coughs> excuse me, what Mincy uh, did on that staff, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna find out a lot. But I really like the hire. I think there's a lot of different directions that this could have gone, and for this to be one of them and the the route that they took, I, I'm I'm all good with it. I, I know you you said you're a little bit leery of it, but I, I'm on board. And uh, I don't know, maybe unlike the rest of Gator Nation, I kind of trust Mike White, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I do too. Man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Oh, Brian knows I'm just playing around. But uh, yeah, I know you love Mike White, Dave. <laughs> oh, I love him, man. No, uh, for I, mean, I, I do wish him the best of luck, though. I want to see this basketball team get better, and I want to see him get back on track to a national championship caliber or school and beating Kentucky on a consistent basis. That would be great too. So, yeah, I mean that was a great hire. I, I, I'm not going to shy away that that say that that was not a great hire. I saw it earlier today on my Twitter. And I said, good, we got something else to talk about in other sports for the podcast. Brian, Jake, you guys got anything else to cover in other sports? Was there any other news? Nope. How many more uh, <laughs> I got. How many more of them wings are you eating over there, Brian? I, I also don't want I, I to implicate Eric Pastrana in that whole fiasco if he wasn't in it. So Yeah, way to go, Jake. Uh, 
<laughs> Brian's making me he really jealous. Didn't get mad about hey, mad at me. When we get the season desist, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> All right, folks. That's Brian, uh, the lead man in charge at ChopTalk.com. Jake hit the main grades. The Gators for us every week. Brian calling in from uh, the nice looking RV there, and uh, you know, you, if you want to share some of them beers and wings with me, you know, you just let me know. And you can pass them to me, Brian. Man, yeah, man went down to Rick's like RV run. <laughs> it's something like a six-hour drive, but come on out, Dave. <laughs> Wait, I want to know. I want to know the amenities of the of the RV. I need to know all about it. Well, I got a bunk bed that I'm sleeping in. There's um, let's see, there's three TVs, four TVs, excuse me, three on four. the inside and one outdoors. Uh, the party's going on outdoors. Uh, you've probably heard it off and on while I've been going tonight. Um, obviously, there's a refrigerator, microwave, a stove, a sink. Uh, there's a nice couch that can fit like seven people on it or something. Uh, there's a bathroom. Uh, there's a master bedroom, which, you know, for, for whatever reason, they didn't want to give it to me. I was like, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> they left you in the I tried. <laughs> Look, man, you got to, you're the reporter. You got to demand the best accommodations. Yeah. Exactly right. Hey guys, I'm the one who's bringing this all together, right? <laughs> the, the real question is: Does the does the RV expand outward? It expands sideways. The yeah. each room will expand. Yes, the the room itself, no, but each each room does. Not the entire RV. Oh, dead gummit! You get rest- <laughs> I can't believe we have four TVs. Yeah, yeah. There's one in each bedroom, one in the living room, and then one outdoors. <laughs> Tip, tip, not your not your typical uh you know family family vacation RV I'm assuming oh, you know that buddy, we're, would take we're roughing it out here man let me tell you I had a nice hot shower <laughs> oh my gosh you got hot water oh you yeah we thing, got water <laughs> I think comes with plumbing that's crazy <laughs> freaking daddy warbucks over here well next time let me know you want to go and we'll 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 ride up here with them. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know if I'm only going to Hoover. Yeah, well, even I'm not sure about that. Especially if I have to see one game of baseball and then turn around. That sounds anticlimactic at the best. <laughs> you should stay. No, you should go stay a couple. You should just go watch the SEC tournament. Well, I think we're staying until at least Saturday, no matter what Florida does. So You're going to miss the Super Regional. I know, right? <laughs> Who's going to cover it? Um, hey Jake, are you interested in covering Super Regional? <laughs> Let's just let's I, put I you on the spot. By Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Brian putting Jake on the spot right in the middle of the podcast. Oh, put me on the spot, actually. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, uh, I guess that does it and wraps it up for the Gridiron Growl <laughs> Podcast, episode forty-four. Here, and uh, you know what we say here on the Gridiron Growl Podcast every single week in all kinds of weather. We don't just stick together, but we also keep it together. Yeah.